I'd like to welcome uh, all of the Northwestern students, especially the freshmen. We are glad you're here. It's simple what we do at our church. We study books of the Bible from the beginning to the end, and we have come to a book of the Bible that's about romance and love and sex. It's a book called Song of Songs that we'll be going through this fall. Now, my wife is a little nervous about me preaching this book, so I will now dismiss my wife to Children's Church. I want to assure my wife that I will keep our stories to a minimum. With that said, I'd like to start off by telling you a story of romance, a story of how I asked my wife to uh, marry her. Trust me, you don't want to cheer about this. Guys, let me tell you a story of what not to do. It's, I know some of you heard this, but it's, it's been years since I've told it. Um, here's the deal. I was saved at 19, became a Christian at 19. I came out of a very sexually immoral background. I didn't know how to treat women, didn't know anything about dating. And in addition, my parents divorced when I was 14, so I was freaking out about divorce, not sure how to treat girls, not sure how to date as a Christian. So I needed all the help I could get. I picked up this book called Dating with Integrity, and I followed it down to the letter because I didn't know what I was doing. Now, this is what the book taught. It said, do not go out on individual dates ever. Only go out in groups. And while you're hanging out in a group, if you see a girl that you like, get to know her in the group and talk to her in the group and then talk to her friends about her. <laughs> and so you then get inside. And then if you feel like you got the girl that's the one to marry, then go up to her and ask her, will you marry me? <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> I'm not joking. So here, here's the deal. Um, my wife and I met at, at 15 in high school. And uh, we, neither one of us are believers. And we graduated from high school. And we both became believers at 19 in two different states. And then we kept in you know, casual contact. But then I came back to Dallas uh, from, from Arkansas where I was doing my undergrad. And I came back to Dallas where I was going to seminary. And push it forward to around, now I'm 25, she's 25. And I'm doing college ministry there in um, the, the Dallas area, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And she's kind of helping out. We're in a group there. She's helping out in the ministry there. Uh, we're doing some nursing home ministry together. Now, keep in mind, at this point, we're not going on dates, like for real. I mean, you can talk to her about this. She has more nuance than I, but we, were, we weren't going on dates, mainly in groups. And <clears throat> so I, I talked to her friends about her. I thought, you know, what, what do you think about, about she and I together, like, like for real? And I talked to my friends about her. Now, understand, I never talked to her about us, ever. And so I decided that I was going to ask her to marry me. So I went to her parents the night before I was going to ask her. And I said, uh, yeah, I, I want to know if you give me permission to uh, marry your daughter. I love her and I, and I want to marry her. And they're like, sure, sure, that's great. What does Melissa think about this? And I said, I don't know. 
We've never talked about it. We never said, I like you, you like me. Never, ever, ever. So here's the deal. The next day, I asked her, I said, hey, why don't you pack your stuff, and we're going to go on a trip. (laughs) A trip. We're going to go on a trip from Dallas to Hot Springs, Arkansas, to my parents' house. Let's go on a trip. And this (laughs) is such a... (laughs) I made... So on this car trip, about five hours, I made uh, these... I made five hours of recordings of me on a cassette tape. If you want to know what a cassette tape is, look it up later, but it's cassette tape. And on this cassette tape, I'm reading my journals of over the years. And in between my journal readings, I'm playing worship songs for five hours. So the journal readings are, are like this. They're like, yeah, I'm, uh, Lord, what are we doing in my life? And, and about, you know, in the past, I was like, and she's hearing this stuff like, I might like Melissa, but I'm not quite sure. And I'm saying this on the, on the tape she's listening to in the car. And so the hours progress, the hours progress. And it comes down to the last journal reading. It says, you know, I love Melissa. And I'm going to ask her to marry me. And as soon as the tape said that, I didn't know where we were going to be. So I pulled, out, pulled off the road. We were, we, were, we were in Gum Springs, Arkansas. No joke. Pulled off. And we went back into the woods. And I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes. You have great sympathy for my wife, don't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. That, that is a shocking, romantic love story. I don't recommend you duplicate that. But there is another love story that we're going to be looking at that comes from the Bible, and it's in the book, Song of Songs. And that's the love story that we can all get excited about. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible, see if you can find it. Look on with someone next to you if you can't find it. Or just listen. We're going to be in the book of Song of Songs here for a while. We rotate preaching Old Testament, New Testament. And over the summer, we finished up the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was a very difficult book to interpret. And the Song of Songs in the Old Testament is just as difficult. The song is written by uh, King Solomon who wrote a lot of songs. He wrote uh, 1,005 songs, but this is his best. And if you don't know who King Solomon is, if you maybe didn't grow up in church, maybe you've heard the story of, of Davey, uh, you know, David and Goliath, yeah? Uh, big giant. Well, this is, this is King David's son, Solomon. And it tells us in the Bible, in the book Song of Songs, in verse 1, it says, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. You can call this book Song of Songs, or you can call it Song of Solomon, whatever you want to say, because it's, it's meaning the same thing. But this is the song that he wrote of all the 1,005 songs that was the ultimate, that was the best, the top of the charts, the greatest downloads. This is his best song. And this song would be sung at feast and probably sung at wedding celebrations as it is a love song. And the content of the song is a growing relationship between a man and a woman who are in love and they get married. And it's a poem and a song about their, their desires together and even their sexual desires. 
It's a biblical book. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. It's a biblical book, so we want to set it in the context of the whole Bible. This can be kind of wordy, but I want to put this up for you to make sure we set this in the context of the whole Bible. Let me read this to you. Song of Songs shows us a romance that celebrates God's gift of love, pleasure, and fidelity, while simultaneously pointing forward to the perfection of love in someone greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. It's a biblical book about a relationship. And when we talk about that romantic relationship, we branch out and think about God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we think about Christ's relationship with his people, the church. And we want to keep ending up at Christ's love, his perfect love, even in the context of discussing romance. That's why this series is called Longing for Love, Looking to Christ. Because our longings are there, and they'll never be fully met in another person, but met in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a couple of ways to understand the content. I know we're doing a little background here. There's a couple of ways to understand the content of the book. Solomon could have written this poem or this song about a general love story that can relate to every man and to every woman. So it's just a general love story about every man and every woman. Or this is Solomon writing about a relationship with himself and with his wife. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, there's a little tension here, right? <laughs> Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if this is a song about Solomon and another woman, Maybe it's a song about Solomon and his first wife before he went off the rails. Or it could be a song that Solomon wrote in his old age, repenting of his idolatry. Basically where he might say, do as I say and not as I do. Now I'm not quite sure of the background, uh, but we cherish the book of Proverbs. It was written by Solomon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we cherish the book of Song of Songs in our Bible. All right, this is what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about strong desires. Strong desires in you for love, strong desires for uh, intimacy, and the question that you may have, will your desires for love and intimacy ever be fulfilled? Some Sundays we're going to talk more to singles. Some Sundays we'll talk more to those who are married. This morning, it's going to be a combination of both, as we both have strong desires for intimacy. So let's jump in with strong desires. Look at verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. The woman is expressing her strong desire for intimacy. It's here expressed in kissing. She wants to be kissed with his mouth. Well, apparently, uh, during that time, the Egyptians did nose kisses as a greeting, but I don't think she wants a nose kiss. She doesn't want a mouth greeting kiss. She wants a kiss that won't just end with a kiss. In fact, the love that she has in mind is better than wine, which was meant to be enjoyed and makes you not drunk but happy in a great feast. 
You see, this girl, she's not aggressively gushing her desires in a perverted way that some of the women of the world might, but she is not prudish and acting like these desires don't exist and can't be expressed. A desire for sexual intimacy is not sinful. When this woman dreams of this guy in marriage, she is not dreaming of them doing a Bible study together. Yeah, she's dreaming of them kissing and caressing. That's where, her, where she's dreaming. And as you think about her desires and maybe even your desires, keep in mind that desires in and of themselves are not demonic. Maybe you grew up in a, a strict legalistic tradition that slams sexual immorality so much that you started to view sex within marriage as a pure way to do a bad thing. Some of you think that. Sex is all about a pure way to do a bad thing in marriage. One author put it like this. He said, the insane guilt that we place on ourselves for the desire for sexual intimacy is inappropriate. God created us this way. We're not waiting salvation from sexuality. God wants you to have sex. He made you for it, among other things. It's amazing. There's no amens. <laughs> God wants you to have sex. Uh, amen? Yeah. <laughs> you see, God created sex, and it is meant to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. And the Song of Solomon shows that this, this desire can be a good and healthy thing. That desires are not demonic, but they can be dangerous. Think about, uh, you know, 60% of you are single. And as a single person, uh, you may have sexual desires. What do you do with those? Well, it's, it's like walking a tightrope, okay? You're on the tightrope. And you don't want to fall off this way and give in to lust and sexual immorality. But at the same time, when you have those desires, you don't want to fall off a misdirection of condemning yourselves or feeling guilty for having desires for sex. You don't want to lust, you don't want to give in to immorality, and you don't want to condemn yourself for feeling things. But you do realize, and you stay on the tightrope, that if you're single, this is a season of your life where you will not express those desires in reality. Well, let's continue on with their relationship. Let's continue on as she continues to talk, as she says in verse 3, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, and therefore virgins love you. So she likes the cologne he's wearing, and it's fragrant. This is not junior high, where all the guys are trying to figure out the amount of cologne to wear. It's overwhelming and disgusting, but he, he has on just the right amount, and it smells good. Take note, guys. But get this. Look again, okay? Look again at verse 3. But his name... His name, your name is oil poured out. His name is just as important. Just like his oils gave off a good smell, so his name gave off good character for all to smell. And it says the virgins, and these virgins are the girls of marrying age, and they love this guy as he is a man of character. Just say his name, and his reputation follows him in a good way. This is not some guy you have to hide from your parents. 
This is not some guy you have to be ashamed of because he's shady, right? The community is affirming his character, and, and character is key, and not just kisses and smells, but godliness. And you've been told this over and over again, I hope you have, that as you think about being married, and that's, I don't want to assume that all singles want to get married. Some of you have a calling to stay single and you don't want to get married. Some of you are not even thinking about, about that. But for those of you who are thinking about marriage, be careful what you're looking for. Because sometimes you will just look on the surface and not look at the name of the person, the character of the person, the godliness of the person. And I, I'm, I fear for you that you could overlook a lot of godly people just because you're looking on the surface. Even, even in this church, are you just looking on the surface? If you're just looking on the surface of other men or women in here that, that could you could date and perhaps get married, but if you're just looking on the surface, you will overlook a lot of godly people. In fact, there are some people you could be overlooking literally. You see, I want you to know that the most godly people in this church are under you right now. You see, we store the most godly in the basement. Occasionally, we let some of them come up. But in the basement is where men and women are doing setup and tear down. They're serving the church. In the basement is where men and women are serving in children's church and Sunday school and teaching the kids about Jesus. There's a lot of godly men and women in the basement. And you can't meet them unless you sign up to serve. Uh, so pass the sign-up sheets right now. No. <laughs> right? But here's, but here's the deal. As we think about what we're looking for in, in, a, in a spouse, the problem is, is that we often, we create this list and it's outward focus when what we should be doing is making a list about ourselves. You want to marry someone godly? Are you godly? You want to marry someone who's in the word? Are you in the word? You want to marry someone who is pure? Are you pure? Do you want to marry someone who's open and not hiding stuff? Are you open and hiding stuff? Do you want to marry someone who's generous? Are you generous? Do you want to marry someone who treats you like quite well. Well, how do you treat others? Just think about the relationship with your parents. You may think that the relationship and the way that you treat your mom or your dad will have no connection to your future spouse, that you can just go off on your parents and then one day you're going to get married and you're going to be, no, 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 no. Examine your heart. If you want to make a list of what you're looking for, fine, but make a longer list for yourself. Be the godly person that someone else would want to marry. Keep going with the story. Keep going with the story. Look at verse 4. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Now, if this is just a general love story, then she views her man as a king. 
does your uh, wife ever call you guys kings? Yeah, me either. Uh, but they should, right? But if this is actually Solomon, then it makes sense because he is the king. And it looks like the woman is about to have all her longings and desires filled. You know, this could be an intimate encounter between a husband and wife where, where she's brought into his chambers. But, but probably not yet. Most scholars would agree that this is just her thinking and dreaming and hoping. And, and many scholars would say that at this point in the poem, in the song, that they are engaged or betrothed to one another. And the wedding is almost here. We'll get to the wedding later on. So maybe she is thinking out loud and she is dreaming about him and maybe even dreaming about him in front of her friends. She's looking ahead and longing for the, the wedding with strong desires. And look at the second part of, of verse 4. It's interesting. It says, We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. This is a poetic and a, a literary device where, where you have this other group of, of people, and, and they're going to be called the Daughters of Jerusalem, all right? They're looking and poetically out on this union, and they're giving their full approval. Maybe they're, they're the friends of the bride, or maybe they're her bridesmaid. And it says that this chorus of women rejoice in Solomon, and they extol his love more than wine. They show how it is appropriate that the virgins rightly love him. Her friends support Solomon and support their union. But now let's introduce tension into the story. She has strong desires for him. But does he have strong desires for her? Look at verse 5. I am very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. She's not referring to her racial or ethnic background, but she's making a reference to what the sun has done to her skin. As she has worked out in the sun, her skin has become dark like the tents of Kedar, which will be a Bedouin tribe who had dark tents. And she feels self-conscious about what the way she looks. And so she says in verse 6, Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Her, pro her father's probably dead, and she refers to her brothers as her mother's sons. Doesn't necessarily make them her stepbrothers, but she's distancing herself from these guys who made her work so much. It says, they made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. She's worked so hard out in the fields at the vineyards that she's been unable to keep up her own vineyard, vineyard her, her appearance. And she's really self-conscious about the, about the way she looks because she doesn't look like all those rich city girls who get to stay inside while she, this, this poor country girl is working outside under the sun. She didn't fit the beauty of the culture or the stereotypical beauty of the day. But she pushes back. She pushes back. She says, all right, I may be damaged by the sun, but notice in verse 5, look at it. She calls herself lovely. I am very dark, but lovely. She is so lovely that she is like the expensive and royal curtains of Solomon. 
She's addressing this reality of being uh, lovely to the daughters of Jerusalem. And that's very important that you don't take this in the wrong way. She tells the daughters of Jerusalem, she says, I'm lovely. But the daughters of Jerusalem don't go all Justin Bieber on her and say, well, if you like the way you look that much, oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. But they're not doing that to her at all. They're not doing that at all. No, so that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on. She is comfortable with her lot. She is comfortable with the way she looks. But these emotions are in all of us, right? We can all relate to these things where we don't like something about our looks. Right? We all have something we don't like the way we look. Something happened to us. We don't don't like the way our bodies look. And sometimes we, we feel worthless. But then we push back. I don't know if you ever do this. You push back. You say, no, 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 no. This is the way God made me. This is the way I look. And, and sometimes you just say to yourself, you know, I'm lovely. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm lovely. I'm just kidding. I just, you don't have to do that. <laughs> right? So when we take in these, these conflicting emotions, think about it. a conflicting emotion, a relationship with someone else, it could be hard. Because we, 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 we're insecure. Is the other person going to love us and, and view us? How are they going to see us? And we get all insecure. We bring all that to a relationship. Will they like me the same way I like them? Will they love me the same way I love them? Her doubts continue to rise. Look at verse 7. Tell me, you, who my soul loves, where you pastor your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself besides the flocks of your companions? So she describes the man as a shepherd. And we have no indication that King Solomon was a shepherd. So maybe this is a story of a man and a woman. But keep in mind, once again, it's poetic language. And maybe these are terms that she is using to express her strong desires. So maybe if your wife doesn't call you a king, perhaps she can call you a shepherd. You're the shepherd her soul loves. She wants to know where he makes his flock lie down at noon. She wants to meet up with him during the day. She wants to know his uh, GPS coordinates so she can find him. Uh, Because she doesn't want to be like the prostitutes. Because the prostitutes, you know, when the men are out in the field in their tents, the prostitutes would veil themselves and go from tent to tent. She says, I I don't want to be like the prostitutes. It's almost like you can hear her doubts. You you can hear whether or not they're going to be reciprocated. Does Solomon desire her as much as she desires him? You know how it is. Like, is the person you like, are they going to like you as much as you like them? Or the person that you love, are they going to love you as much as you love them? You, you can kind of hear that. Well, let's see what it says. Verse 8. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. There it is. There it is. O most beautiful among women women. Her desire is reciprocated as he uses words to call her beautiful. He hears her concerns about her looks. He sees her hardships in the field, but he responds with love. And that's what we all want. We want to be vulnerable in front of someone else and get love in return. And we do in the gospel, right? In the gospel, we, we come before the Lord in all of our sin and vulnerabilities, and we get grace and mercy in the gospel of Jesus. But we also want that with another person, don't we? 
We want that with another person where we can, we can come before them and get love in return. And often the way we get love in return is through words. Words can make your heart hard or words can make your heart tender. Words can make your heart hard or words can make your heart tender. You think about people when they're dating, they often use very encouraging and flattering words to one another. Sometimes it's romantic and sometimes it builds them up. It makes them feel encouraged and secure. But too many times, once you get married, those encouraging words start to trickle off, diminish, and sometimes go away completely. And once you can have a marriage, it's hearts that grow hard toward one another. I heard this story about this marriage conference where at uh, this marriage conference, the, the guy who was leading the conference, he, he had the husbands and the wives each write a letter uh, 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 to the other person of encouragement, something, some romantic words, some words of encouragement. And then the, the husband and the wife would get together and they would read the letter to one another. And the director was asked by someone, he said, why do you make the husbands and wives write letters to each other? Why can't they just sit in front of each other and tell each other how they feel? And he said, because a lot of these marriages, they don't have anything to say. They've been so hurt and wounded and they're broken and they have no encouraging words for each other. And maybe some of you find yourselves in your marriage right there. You have no encouraging words and your heart is hard. And we're hoping that God will chip away that hard heart. And for those of you who are new in marriage, keep those words flowing. Don't cut them off. And you kind of wonder, well, what should I say? Well, here's a good example in the next verse. Let's look at the next verse. This is what you can say. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Isn't that great? Can you imagine going out with a girl and saying, my love... You look like a horse. (laughs) She's being compared to a decorated female horse from Egypt, which would be royal and beautiful. She's also decorated, as we see in verse 10 and 11. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Her cheeks are are lovely, and they're highlighted by the long earrings that hang down on on her cheek, and In addition, her neck is covered uh, as a beautiful necklace with strings of jewels. And these these are ornaments of gold studded with silver were probably made by the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, They're perfect uh, to highlight her beauty. And he is admiring her beauty. He loves her. And his desire for her matches her desire for him. It's a beautiful, beautiful story of showing beautiful desires on one and on the other. It's reciprocated, and they have these strong desires for one another that are beautiful. But in real life, mm -mm, it doesn't always work like that. Okay, in real life, it never works like that. Desires in real life are never perfect, as we see so far. And they're not always beautiful. In fact, what we see in our world is often disordered desires. What you may feel inside your heart is often 
disordered desires. If you're honest about what's going on, some of you who are married may have a desire for adultery. Some of you who are not married may have a desire for premarital sex. There may be desires in you of same-sex attraction, desires in you for pornography. And unless these desires are put to death, they will be acted upon. And some of you right now are acting upon your disordered desires. I'm going to tell you this. Did you know your disordered desires are often not just about you? Did you know your ordered desires can also hurt other people? There are some of you that are here right now and you've been hurt by the disordered desires of someone else. Maybe your spouse is into something that is hurting you. Maybe some of you have been hurt by disordered desires as a child and abuse. And when I'm talking about love and romance and sex, it is hard for you to hear any of that because you've been wounded by someone else's disordered desires. And when you have desires floating around and disordered desires floating around, it can be, fa- it can be really, really painful. And one of the most dramatic scenes I've ever seen in a movie uh, is a movie called Fences. It's Viola Davis is married to Denzel Washington, and she's just finding out that he's been unfaithful uh, to her. And he's explaining his unfaithfulness to her as a man who has desires. And her response back is awesome. It's through tears. It's through force. She says, you don't think I have desires too? You don't think I have dreams and desires to lay up with other men and be happy? You don't think I have those in me? But I didn't act on them because I remained faithful to you. So you have disordered desires floating around, and often they wound. I want to share something with you. Can I put this quote up here? I know it's long, but this is going to kind of set the base for some healing. It says, The song addresses us as broken people who have disordered desires and show us a glimpse of what ordered desire looks like, while at the same time reminding us just how hard it is to find love like this in the world. In doing so, the Song of Song calls us to relationship with the one who entered this world of disordered desires and love perfectly in our place. Jesus Christ, I want to be personal, died for me when I was a sinner. My disordered desires uh, were racked with pornography, sexual morality, with girls, constant thinking about this constant. That was my life every day. And to think Jesus Christ saw me in my disordered desires and my wickedness and he died on the cross for me to forgive me. His cross work forgave me my sins through repentance, forgave me my sins by his grace, forgave me my sins through faith. 
and he was buried, and he rose again, and he says, come on. Come to me, all of you who have disordered desires. Look to the cross. Look to the good news, and I will forgive you. If you are here right now with disordered desires that you are not putting to death, but you are acting upon, today is a day of repentance, of turning away from it and turning to Christ for forgiveness and mercy. Turn it to Christ for power to put these things to death. Turn it to Christ to walk in community. But I also want to say, if you're here this morning and you have been wounded by someone else's disordered desire, maybe even recently, maybe right now that's what you're thinking about, there is grace for you. There is love for you. In fact, there is perfect love for you. And I'm hoping that over the course of talking about these things from the Bible, there can be some healing in your life. And for some of you, there's got to be some reconciliation. I mean, there is, there is something that's happened with you and someone else. There's new reconciliation, forgiveness. But for some of you, that's just impossible. That happened, something happened a long time ago. There can be healing no matter what. My brothers and sisters, it's fun to think about love and romance, but it can also be painful. And that's why we find perfect love and perfect hope for healing in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. This morning, if you have heard God's word, do not harden your hearts. And I ask that, Lord, that if anyone has been convicted by your spirit of disordered desires, that they would not harden their hearts. They would look to you for grace and forgiveness and mercy. And for those who have been wounded by the disordered desires of others, Lord, I just ask that um, they would look to you for grace and mercy and healing. And Father, help us as a church to love one another, to come alongside those who are struggling in relationships, to come alongside those who have been wounded. And I do ask that in their ethos communities this week, there would be openness, be openness to share, that no sin or hurt would be off guards, and that your grace and love and your cross work would flow. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.